0: Sunday morning, we're in a sermon series entitled, Out of Context. We're looking at verses that are very familiar to most of us, verses that we have heard quoted, maybe we've even quoted ourselves, verses that we believe have a certain meaning, and we apply that meaning to them when we quote them or tell them to someone. But the meaning that we thought is not quite correct. In fact, it might even be erroneous because we have taken the verse out of the context in which it was given. It happens quite frequently, to be honest with you. And remember what I've taught you. If you never remember nothing else, remember a verse that is taken out of context whether it be sincerely or insincerely, is a pretext to deception. And deception will always lead to destruction if it's perpetrated long enough. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord their thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Their thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Jen Wilkins tells us of her desire to author a brand new Bible. We've already got hundreds of Bibles, but she believes we need at least one more Bible. And this Bible would be for 21st century Christians, just like you and me, perhaps, who have a funny way of looking at things of God anymore. She says, we need a new Bible called the Instagram Bible. A Bible that's filled, absolutely stuffed, with Proverbs and promises and positives and partial verses. And these... Proverbs and promises and positives and partial verses, they give us comfort but no conviction. Encouragements but no exhortations. Warm fuzzies but no warnings. Self esteem but no self examination. They give us blessings. But no burdens. Worship. Rah, rah, rah. But no faithfulness. Good news. But no bad news. A Bible that gives us a baby Jesus, a benevolent Jesus, a big brother Jesus, a crucified Jesus, a living Jesus. But not a Lord Jesus. A Bible for a generation where it's all about me. An Instagram Bible. Hundreds of verses given out of context, spoken in snippets, and made to make us think and feel however we want to think and feel about the Bible. An Instagram Bible. Now, she's being tongue-in-cheek, you understand. But I believe she's put the hammer on the nail. Because I think that most folks in the 21st century are basically, it's all about me. I'm a consumer. And I'm going to find a church that allows me to be me. I can think what I want to feel. I can think what I want to think, feel what I want to feel. Go and come as I please, dress as I please. Go into service if I want to, or sit out in the lobby and drink coffee and chat if I want to. No no condemnation. No judgment. I will go to where I can do what I want to do. And may I say to you, if that's what you want, there's a hundred churches that will accommodate you. But remember, when you take the Bible, specifically verses, out of context to fit you, what you think or feel, and you've taken them out of context and they're wrong, they're going to lead you to a Life of deception and destruction. I hope you understand that. Now, in the verse that we have before us, we see this verse everywhere. I mean, you don't—you can't really go anywhere in a given day without somebody saying this verse on television or radio or to you personally or seeing some semblance of this verse on a memory card, or a plaque, or a logo, or a sign, or a billboard, or on the lips of some joy boy preacher on television? I mean, this verse is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. But seldom is it ever put in the context in which it's given. It's generally used to to imply something else. So what we're going to do this morning, if it's okay with you, and I hope it is, <laughs> we're going to take the whole book of Jeremiah. Don't, you be, don't, be, don't be sad. You'll get out at 5 o'clock, I promise you. <laughs> but we're going to look at the whole book of Jeremiah. We're going to put that in context. Then we're going to go to the 29th chapter of Jeremiah, We're going to put that in context. And then we're going to go to verse 11 and put that in context. And I think you're going to be surprised what this verse literally is talking about. But let's begin now with the whole book of Jeremiah. 52 chapters from start to finish. Now, what is the book of Jeremiah about? It's about a prophet whose obvious name was Jeremiah. A prophet who spoke the Word of God to his generation. Jeremiah was not only a prophet who spoke the Word of God, he was a priest, he had a double office. And he led the people of God in worship. So Jeremiah was a prophet who spoke the Word of God, he was a priest who led the people of God In worship, he served under five administrations in Judah. Judah, as you recall, was southern Israel. Southern Israel. Five administrations, five kings he served under as a prophet and a priest. Almost 40 years total. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Because in his 40 years of ministry, as a prophet and a priest under five different kings, he preached the same message. And the people laughed at his message and rejected his message. And because they laughed and rejected his message, they laughed and rejected him. And they fiercely persecuted him. Because his message was not popular, he's called the weeping prophet. Because of the persecution he received from giving that message, he's called the weeping prophet. Now what was his message that caused people to persecute him? His message was this. The Babylonians are coming. The Babylonians were the Isis of their day, except they were an empire. They weren't just a group of terrorists. They were a pagan empire. And they were on the march. And they're headed toward Judah. The Babylonians were sadistic. They were ruthless. They were barbarians. Everywhere they went, they slaughtered populations. They were no respecter of men, women, teenagers, or children. If they came into your area, they slaughtered. What they didn't slaughter, they, tell, they, they took captive. And they would send these captives back to their homeland, to their homeland, to Babylon, where they would become servants and slaves to the Babylonian masters. They would destroy everything in their path. They would desecrate holy things. That's what they did. And the Babylonians are coming, and Jeremiah tells the people of God in Judah, under five administrations for 40 years, repent of your sin, or you will perish. You can see why he wasn't popular. You can see why the thought was if you can shut up if you can shut up his message, the message will go away. You can get rid of God's man, but you can't get rid of God's message. Men are expendable, but God's word is eternal. And Jeremiah has told the people of God, lest you repent of your idolatry, your worship of false gods, lest you repent of your immorality, your sexual immorality, and all the different ways you practice it, unless you are willing to turn from these sins and turn back to God, unless you're willing to repent, say, God, I'm sorry, and stop it, and stop it permanently, judgment's coming. And the judgment will come in the form of the Babylonians. So, the book of Jeremiah, so you got the context, is a book about judgment that's coming. And how God's people have a choice to make about what they're going to do with the message that they've heard. They can accept the fact that judgment's coming. They can submit themselves to God and to His grace and mercy because the Babylonians are going to come. They can accept it, learn from their mistakes, repent of their sins, make the most of their slavery in Babylon, and one day have a future. That's what they can do. Or... They can fight the Babylonians. They can continue to practice their idolatry and immorality. They can go to Babylon and continue in their idolatry and immorality. And they can die without any hope. So that's the two choices that Jeremiah gives the people. You see, you can only spurn God's offer for so long before God says it doesn't matter what you do now, it's too late. So as we enter Jeremiah 29, the choices have been given. You've laughed at me, you've persecuted me, you've mocked God, you've rejected His message for 28 chapters. God says the offer of sparing you judgment is now off the table. Judgment is coming. The Babylonians are on their way. I'm not turning them back. They're going to march into your land. They're going to slaughter you by the hundreds of thousands. They're going to take the rest of you that live and ship you back to Babylon. You are going to be servants of theirs, slaves of theirs for 70 years. The only question is, will I give you a future at the end of those seven years Or will you die in Babylon and every generation that follows you stay there? That's the question. Now, let's go to Jeremiah 29 because I want us to see some principles that come out of this book, and then we will focus more on verse 11 as we close. So, you have the big picture of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. It's a book of judgment. I just wonder sometimes is it maybe a book about America? A nation that essentially laughs at God and mocks God. As we continue in our idolatry, the worship of our false gods, as we practice our sexual immorality as we laugh at the prophets of God who warn us and we reject them and persecute them. Just throwing that out for you to think about. But let's look at some lessons that we can learn from Jeremiah 29. Remember the overall theme? Now let's focus on some lessons we can learn from the 29th chapter. Keep your Bibles open. We're just going to work right through it. And then we'll focus on verse 11 as we close. So what can we learn from Jeremiah 29 as we're trying to get move from a general context to a chapterial context? Well, the first thing that we can learn is that God is sovereign. Look at verse 4. Now, I want you to look at the reading of this. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Thus saith the God of Israel, unto all of you that are going to be carried away captives, whom I will cause to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now the first thing we see is God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? It means God is in control. Sometimes we have a plan, but our plan doesn't work out. God has a plan, and God's plan always works out. God is sovereign, He's in control. What God plans, what God proposes, God brings to pass, God disposes. So I want you to understand that. Because it's God who allows the Babylonians to come. It's God who causes the Babylonians to come. Somebody said there's only two categories of things that happen to Christians. There's not a third category. There's only two categories. Either God allows it or God causes it. If you're a child of God, wherever you're at right now in this thing we call life, I want you to know whatever you're facing right now, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, whatever the name, whatever you're going through, listen to your pastor, God either caused it or God allowed it. And the reason why God caused it or God allowed it is because maybe He's trying to get our attention. Maybe He's trying to make changes in our life. Maybe He's trying to fulfill purposes in our life. Maybe He's trying to get us to bring Him glory with what we're going through. Maybe He's trying to get us to do good to others from what we're going through. Maybe He's trying to grow us in our own faith through what we're going through. I don't know everything about what you're going through, or I'm, and you don't know what I'm going through. But I can tell you this, God wants to be glorified, He wants us to do others good, and He wants to grow us up. And in His sovereignty, He allows things to come into our life or He causes things to come into our life to rattle our cage and get our attention. And He's allowing the Babylonians to come into Judah for the slaughter that will take place, the captivity that will come, the deportation that will follow for 70 years. Now, it's interesting that God identifies who He is through Jeremiah. You've heard me say many times, we don't name God. God names Himself and He reveals His names to us. If you notice, it says He's the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is better translated Yahweh. He is God Almighty. It speaks of His power. Then you notice He says that He is the God of Israel better translated, Elohim, the God of the covenant, a God of personal relationship. It's interesting he identifies himself as that. He says to his people and to his nation, I am Yahweh, I am God Almighty, I am omnipotent, I hold all power in heaven and earth in my hands, I hold the Babylonians in my hands. And they're only doing what I'm allowing them to do. And he says, but remember, I am Elohim God, the God of Israel. I made a covenant with your nation. I made a covenant with you people. I made a covenant with each of you individuals. I have a personal relationship with you. God is sovereign. Whatever you're going through, He knows He caused it or He allowed it. But notice in verses 5 through 7, another lesson. God desires that wherever we're at, as we're going through circumstances and situations that He allowed or caused, He wants us to have a purpose. He wants us to influence our culture. Look at verses 5 through 7. Now, following your Bibles. You're going to learn and see. I want you to see how it's all flowing together. He says to his people, when you go to Babylon, I want you to build houses and dwell in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat the fruit. I want you to take wives and birth sons and daughters. I want you to take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased and not diminished. I want you in this place that I'm going to send you, Babylon, I want you to seek peace in the city, that where I've carried you, you will be captives. But I want you to pray to the Lord for peace, for it's in peace that you will have peace. The Babylonians are coming, but they're coming because I'm allowing them to come. I'm causing them to come. I am God Almighty. I am God of the covenant. I know what's about to happen. Trust me, I have the power to do what I want to do. And I love you because I have a relationship with you and I'm going to keep my promise to you. But you are going to Babylon That pagan city where you're going to be slaves under pagan masters. But when you get there, I want you to settle down and I want you to saturate that place with the light and the salt of the gospel. Wow. You're going to be there 70 years 70 years, not 69 years, not 71 years. For 70 years, you're going to be there. You can't live in a tent. You can't live in a lean-to. When you get there, build your house. Plant your garden. Raise your sons and daughters and prepare for them to get married. You're going to have grandchildren Thank the Lord because what I want to do is increase the number of you that when 70 years is older and I send you back. More of you will come back than went. I want you to settle down among the people and I want you to share your faith, is what he's saying. You're not to be isolationists. You're not to be monks. You're not to be cultists. You're not to live in a church or a monastery or on a compound. I've called you to go to Babylon and be lights, and I want you to shine that light in the darkness. You're going to Babylon to be salt, and I want you to scatter that salt in the decay. I want them to see me in you. I want you to take the gospel of transformation and salvation to those people who otherwise probably would never hear it. And though you will be slaves, if you will do right, they will respect you and you will have peace. Pastor, I don't want to live where I'm living. God puts you there to be light and salt. I don't want to work where I'm working. God puts you there to be light and salt. Wherever God plants us and the seasons of life Let's not be miserable. Let's have a merriment, because He's put us there, that we might influence those around us and bring them to Jesus. Verses 8 and 9, he's also, we need another lesson. Not only are we to understand that God's sovereign not only do we to understand that God desires for us to be witnesses, influences, impact players, difference makers, wherever He puts us, whoever's around us, but He wants us to flee false prophets. Notice in verse 8 and 9, Jeremiah makes mention of false prophets. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I am Yahweh, I am Elohim, I'm speaking to you, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Do not hearken to their dreams, which will cause your dreams to be nightmares. They prophesy falsely unto you. Now look at this. In my name. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the height of arrogance. To tell a lie and give Jesus the credit for it. That's about as arrogant as you can get. And by the way, the Antichrist is coming in his name too. Height of arrogance. For they prophesied falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. These preachers... These preachers said, Jeremiah's wrong. God is not mad at us. God is not angry with us. God is a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of toleration. God understands that we are weak. God understands that we are vulnerable. God understands we have shortcomings and flaws and faults. We're not perfect. And God understands if we have to worship other gods. God understands if we have to go outside the covenant of marriage to have sexual experience. God understands that. He's not happy with it, but He understands it. And when God says He's going to judge us, He's just kidding. He's like a parent that warns their children over and over and over they never do nothing. Don't you be scared of what Jeremiah say. Jeremiah's giving you fake news. It's not going to happen. God is not going to bring the Babylonians. He'll stop them. He's just trying to rattle a few sabers in Shake our cage, but God'll stop the Babylonians, or we'll defeat them on the border. And even if they come into the country, even if they do kill a few of us and send a few of us back to Babylon, it's not going to be for 70 years. That's just a, a figure of speech that Jeremiah is using. It's an allegory, it's a metaphor. Anybody knows the Bible's not literal. It's not true. He doesn't really mean what he says. That's what the false prophets said. God says, "Don't you listen to them, men? They're 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 racketeers. They're mobsters. They're charlatans. They're crooks. They're deceivers. They're dreamers that will give you a nightmare." Don't listen to them. Because I, the Lord, am telling you what's going to happen. And it will happen. You know, we still have false prophets today. The devil learned a long time ago there's no prophet throwing rocks outside the church. When you can come into the pulpit and throw rocks. Call yourself a minister. A sinister minister is what you are. And you can tell the people what they want to hear. You can give them a pep rally every Sunday. Rah, rah, rah. Happy days are here again, Christians. Christians. God is love, God is grace, God is mercy, God is tolerant, God's not judgmental. Do what you want to do, just love Him. It'll all work out. And the Pied Pipers play their music and sing their song and the people follow them. You better make sure you know where they're taking you before you jump on the bandwagon. These false prophets, they promise things like health and wealth, bodily healing, financial fortunes to those who will just send them a little bit of money as a sign of their faith in the message that they've been told. Christians all across this country fall for that nonsense and send these charlatans hundreds and thousands of dollars for promises they cannot fulfill, and they know it. You say, Pastor, who are you talking about? I'm not telling you no names. I'm not giving them no free advertisement. But I can tell you a majority of them on television fall into that category. There are a few good ones on television, And thank God for them. But a vast majority of these TV preachers and their radio counterparts, they're crooks. And the people of God are duped into believing that you're going to get bodily healing or financial fortune by sending them your money. If you've got that money to throw away to them, throw it this way. I'm sure we can find a purpose for it around here. Have you ever noticed, but I'm, I'm going to throw this in just to say it, because we've got to move on, but have you ever noticed how they have an out on all this stuff they promise you? If you don't receive bodily healing, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. Not their fault, your fault. If you didn't get your fortune, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. You see how cruel they are? They take people who are sick. They take people who are poor. They make promises to them. Take what little bit they got. And then, when they know the promises aren't going to come to pass, they've got the audacity to turn on those people and tell them, It's your fault because you don't have enough faith. God helped them on judgment day because they're going to need it. God is sovereign. Wherever God sends us or plants us, he wants us to use our influence to share the gospel with those around us. He wants us to beware. There's false prophets everywhere. The pied pipers of hell are playing their music, and the masses are following them. He also wants us to learn something else. He wants us to trust God's timing in verse 10. Notice he says in verse 10, after 70 years, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you, perform my good word toward you, and causing you to return to this place. Seventy years you're going to be in Babylon. Build a house, plant a garden, marry your children, enjoy your grandchildren, be a witness Be an influence in the culture that you're going to be. A pagan culture, but you be an influence. Bring Babylonians to Jesus. Understand there'll be false prophets here that are going to try to deceive people. There are going to be false prophets there that will try to deceive people. And God is going to do all things He said He would do. In verse 10... After 70 years, not before, after 70 years, at the 70 year mark, God is going to visit you again. He's going to have a message for you. And the message will be, I'm bringing you back to Babylon. I mean, to Jerusalem. I'm bringing you out of captivity. You are now going to become free. Wow. God remembered us? He sure did. Why 70 years? I don't know. Maybe it took 70 years to get their idolatry and immorality out of them. I don't know. How long does it take us to get our sin out of us? I don't know. But at the end of 70 years, they will be confessed. They will be purged. They will be cleaned. They will be washed spiritually. They will be made whole. And I will come and I will bring them back to their land. Now, that brings us in closing to verse 11. Do you understand how this is going now? What's going to happen? Look at verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Where is God going to be thinking about them at? When they're where? Help me out. Where they're in Babylon. When you're in Babylon, God forsaken land, God will be there with you. I will be thinking of you. When you're in Babylon, I'll be thinking of you. For I know the thoughts that I will think toward you, saith the Lord, verse 11. They will be thoughts of peace, not healing, not wealth, not happiness. Thoughts of peace. My thoughts are not meant to cause you evil, to do you harm, but to bring about an expected end. Now, what does all this mean? What does Proverbs 29, verse 11 mean? God is speaking to those who blew it, who are in Babylon because of their sin of idolatry and immorality. They're there because of the punishment of God upon their life. But God says, I, while you're there, why don't you confess and repent of your sin? Why don't we start all over again? And why don't you go ahead and understand you're going to be here for 70 years, but be my witnesses. And when, when the time is up, I'm going to come and visit you again. I'm going to send a prophet, or I'm going to come myself for both and I'm going to move you out of Babylon back to where you started. That's what he's saying. All the time I'll be thinking about you, he says. You see, when we're going through difficulties, one of the things that Satan tells us is God doesn't think about us. God doesn't care. Psalm 139, how precious to me are the thoughts of God. I love that song, Keith. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. When he was on the cross, Jim Palmer was on his mind. He knew me. Put your name there. When he was on the cross, your name. You were on his mind too. He knew you. The Bible says He knows the number of hairs we have on our head. That's easy for some. But He knows us. He knows us inside out, outside in. Upside down, downside up. He knows us. He says, I'm thinking about you. When you've blown it, and you're in a faraway land, I'm thinking about you. I've not forgotten you. I've not forsaken you. You're on my mind. And then he says he cares for us. Not only does he think about us, he cares for us. He wants our good. This is a reminder of what Peter said in 1 Peter 5. Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he what? he cares for us. Some of us are carrying the burden of our past the burden of our failures the burden of our sins the burdens of our habits and they're weighing us down they're breaking us down like an old man they're grinding us toward the ground and god says cast those burdens upon me give me your sins give me your shortcomings give me your flaws give me your faults give me your mistakes Give me your misery. I'm willing to forgive you. You can walk upright again. You don't have to be a broken down old person, laden with the sin that you've committed, the past that you carry. I think we also see in verse 11 God knows what He's doing. God knows what he's doing. He said, I'm bringing all of this about to give you peace. You can't buy peace at Walmart. But God gives it. Peace this way with him. Peace this way with others. And peace here with yourself. And some of you desperately need peace with your past. You've never let it go. We can trust him. Do you know that? When I coached football, I was a sideline coach for part of my years. I would stand at ground level and watch the game from ground level. And even though I understood the game and and I devised some of the plays that we ran, I called them. (laughs) It still looked a little chaotic at times. You ever stood ground level and watched a football game? Some people say, well, that's the best seats. No, it's not the best seats in the house. It's ugly and it's chaotic. You got people running all over. They don't look like oh no, what in the world they're doing. And sometimes they don't. But when you look at a football game at ground level, it's ugly, it's chaotic, and you wonder, does this make any sense at all? But there were other times when I coached football that I got to go to the press box. And the press box is up high and you're looking down at the field. And from looking down at the field, it's a whole different perspective than looking straight forward at the field. Because when you're looking down, you can see that there's some rhyme and reason to this madness. That what looks ugly and chaotic is really beautifully coordinated and choreographed. Well, that's, that's the Christian life. We're at ground level. And we look at life sometimes and we say, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. It's ugly. It's chaotic. It's just a mass of confusion. And God says, no, it's not. I'm in control. I'm looking down at everything. Everything's coordinated. Everything's choreographed. I got my hand on it. And I'm moving those pieces exactly where I want them to be. I want to do you good. I know what I'm doing. I want to give you peace. And then lastly, he says, I've got a future for you in all of this. You've blown it. You're now in a faraway land. Will you ever come home? Will you ever come back? Can you ever have a second chance? Can you start all over again? And he says, yes, you can. Because I have a future for you. Notice that phrase, expected in. You know what that means? A promised outcome. In other words, God says, I've already got it all mapped out. (laughs) You're going to make it. Yeah, you. You. You're going to make it. You have won down here. And you will be up there. Wow. Now you see how all this comes together. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a verse about bodily healing or financial wealth. It's a verse about people who have blown it. Maybe that's you. You've blown it. You wouldn't listen. You blew it. And now you're here today. Burdened, fallen, broken, captive, defeated and want to give up. God doesn't know where I'm at. God doesn't care for me. God is not a God of a second chance. I'm going to die in a faraway land. No, you're not. Because God knows where you're at. God cares for you and God wants to give you peace and God wants to bring you back and fulfill the promises He made to you in the beginning that you are going to be like Jesus and you're going to stand with Jesus one day. He's a God of a second chance. A God of 10,000 second chances. Heads are bowed in Nazareth.